Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. Okay, so today I'm joined by Jim Liptrot, MD of Howarth Air Technology, who I connected with um, oh, a few months ago, I think, after being yeah. put in touch by a mutual friend, a mutual colleague. Um, so hi, Jim. Hi, Lisa. You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So you've been on an interesting journey with um, Howarth, and we'll hear a bit more about that today, I'm sure. Um, and like any MD, you, I guess, will be having challenges right now. You've had challenges, which is actually the kind of reason that um, we connected in the first place. Although we haven't actually yet explored any of those challenges, um, I've heard you talk, um, including when you came along to Thought Leadership Group, that I was yeah. facilitating around strategy and well-being and employee experience and so on. And I think what you have to say and how you view your role as a leader and how you bring others on the journey is actually really inspiring. So I wanted to hear a bit more about that and unpick a bit about that today so that other people can hear and learn from you. Um, and you never know, we might unpick some of the challenges along the way, um, depending on what comes up. So do you want to start by telling us a little bit more about you, your role and your company? Yeah, so obviously Jim Liptrop, Managing Director of Howarth AirTech, as, as you mentioned. Um, I've been in this role since two th end of 2017, really started the role in, in 2018. Prior to that, I've been the Operations Director in the business and originally started as the Operations Manager back in, in 2008. But my... I guess my approach has always been consistent. It's consistent wherever I've been. And that's to really get to know and understand the people, whether it's a department of 30 or a company of 150. It's really important to me that, that I gain their trust, um, they gain my trust, et cetera. And, um, and over the years, we, working with people as I do, uh, what's happening at Howarth has naturally evolved, actually. Mm. Uh, I think that when I first arrive in a business, quite often it's um, it's a strange way of a leader to operate in that I really do associate myself still almost as an apprentice because that was the, the route that I came through. I'm an employee of this company. Uh, I'm no different to anybody else, but I do a role that, that is facilitating an environment that allows everybody to grow to their potential within the business. And I know that I've been in many small businesses and the person in my um, position will quite often say, I know every job in this business. We've now got about 135 employees and obviously I can't know every job in depth. Yes, I've got an understanding of how a business runs. I've come right through for an apprentice through engineering to management, et cetera. But the most important thing for me is that there's always talented people around. And quite often companies miss the talent that's, that's 
almost under the under the feet because they're too busy looking elsewhere. Yeah. And yet there's always untapped talent. Uh, I can guarantee that. So so my role is really to create the right environment and almost operate like a, a dad in a family, if mm. that makes sense, because I encourage, encourage um, and congratulate and thank when things are going well. And now and again, if things aren't um, being lived in the right way, well, it's a quiet conversation, but nobody would ever know when I'm having those conversations other than me and, and that person. It's never been public humiliation. And I expect to be pulled up myself as well if I if I slip from, from what we're trying to do. Very quickly, the challenge that we've got at the moment is I believe this company is now approaching good and we've got to get it to great. Mm. Mm. I love what you said about you being like a dad. <laughs> because I think when you know people talk about family business and if you have a family business and then suddenly people lose sense of who they are, their, you know, what they're about, their, that sense of culture as they expand. But actually, you're, as you've become MD, you've almost taken it back to that sense of we are a family. And it's those relationships that I think are really key. I remember you telling me that, you know, you would hand write all your cards to, uh, you know, when you're writing Christmas cards or whatever to all your employees. And it's that, it's that care that you clearly demonstrate through those relationships and building yeah. those relationships. I will just correct you slightly on that because now, oh, okay. well, now we've got 135 employees. I can't possibly <laughs> write them even, even at writing uh, the personal notes. So I do type of personal notes to everybody. And that now has to start in November. And mm. sometimes something will happen between November and Christmas where I have to tweak something. Mm. But um, I think it's really, really important. that. And um, I was thinking before, as I was thinking about our our chat today, I'm really driven by the company having a purpose. And I didn't know where that had come from. I came across uh, Simon Sinek, start with why, but that was after I'd defined our purpose. So I was rolling it back thinking, where did this purpose all come from initially? It actually goes back to when I was a dad of, of a young child who was just starting school. And it was at a time of... of some turmoil in education because it was for for the for the older members it was it was grant maintained schools who were pulling out of local authority and the school that my lad was about to join was going through this trauma they it was a small primary school they didn't have enough teachers for every class and i was going down listening to these debates and one day one of my friends who normally came was ill so he couldn't come so i wrote loads of notes down and all I could hear was that if we stayed as we were, then we knew the track, but it was downwards. If we went this other route, it was real uncertainty. But if we embraced that uncertainty, we could actually build something great. And my only purpose at that time was I wanted to do everything I could to help my child. Mm. You can't get a bigger focus than that. Mm. And that, that was in my 30s. And if I look back... The 30, in my 30s, was the most progressive period of learning since my preschool years. Mm. It was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. But, but that purpose was there. Embracing uncertainty was there. Look what's happened with Howarth. 
we've got that really strong purpose and then we plunged into COVID. What did we do in COVID? We embraced uncertainty. Collectively, we took a drop in our in our packages. Mm. Um, so whether that was people going on furlough, whether it was people giving up salaries, whether it was people accepting a shorter working week, and it was all very, very similar to those days when I was in my 30s. So that was 30 years ago. And I think it's really interesting, that whole the theme of uncertainty, because that's what people tend to veer away from, isn't it? And, you know, we have been going through such a challenging time with uncertainty that people will tend to grasp onto what they know is familiar and safe. Yeah. And yeah. let's just focus on that rather than embracing the change and the unknown and exploring what that might look like. Because, our, you know, we end up behaving in a way that's resistant or we dig our heels in or, you know, that's when we see typically all these very awkward behaviours coming out in our colleagues and our teams and people not being on the on the same journey, kind of not understanding where they're going or why they're going there. And I think that's something that you've done very well in terms of helping people understand the journey, where you've come from and where you're going to. I mean, one of the really good examples of that is when you emailed me, I remember you emailing me in December saying, here's my briefing and just loving the fact that a, you were proud of it because most people just churn these things out because you know they've, they're expected to. But when you do something, it's what's the purpose of this briefing? I want that people to know where we've come from. I don't want them to know where we're going to. It maintains that sense of purpose. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, when COVID hit in particular, and we did our first live brief, there were some tough messages in there. We didn't mm. we didn't know what was happening. Nobody had faced this before. Mm. And for one of the messages to say that virtually everybody in the company is going to lose money for a time, mm. but have the trust to know that everything we were doing was actually to protect jobs. That's a difficult conversation to have. But the nice thing is I've said to people, one of the issues was prior, prior to me moving into the managing director's role, we never had briefs, we never had communications, apart from when it was bad news. Mm. So when we got everybody together on, on the shop floor to tell them that I was becoming the managing director, people must have been frightened to death. And I only, I've only thought about it since. Probably still some of them still regret that conversation. <laughs> but, um, but, but I think it says so much about the trust. I, was, mm. I said to them, you will have regular briefings and I will tell you good and bad, but I will be honest with you. So when you're facing something like COVID, that's really important that people have that trust in you. Mm. And it was really interesting because we were having weekly COVID reviews with the senior management. And one of the managers said to me one day, Jim, when are you going to come up front with people and tell them that them being on furlough at real risk of redundancy? And I said, they're not. Well, he said, everybody knows that the furlough scheme is an indirect way of making people redundant. I said, well, it may be in some companies, but this is protecting. If we come through this pro this period with one lost, one job lost, we've failed. Mm -hmm. Well, the nice thing is we're at least 15 jobs up in this business through that period, and mm -hmm. I expect that to keep growing. So, so did, you make, did you make that intention clear then with, your, uh, with the company that actually no one was at any greater risk of redundancy? Because I think that's one of the gaps that many companies um, have 
in terms of their leadership, you know, making assumptions, you know, of course people know this, or of course they, you know, they, we fill up all the gaps because we know something. Yeah. And like you've just demonstrated really clearly, you had one belief, this other person had another belief. So you can imagine that magnified by how many people working with you at that point. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of um, differing views. So how, how did you go about making sure that everyone was aligned? Was that through those briefings? Through those well, so following, yeah, following that manager's discussion, I made it clear on the next briefing that should we be unfortunate enough to end in a redundancy, which I didn't expect to happen. Mm. But then nobody was at more risk of redundancy than anybody else. Mm. The other message we gave very clearly was, if you don't hear it from us, it isn't happening. Because rumour rumor control is always one of the flourishing departments in many, many businesses. Mm. What we've done by having our regular briefs, which happen to take place virtually every month, and we missed one in that period, and there was a really good reason for mm. missing. And I had to cancel that brief very late on, actually on the day of the brief. And the reason I cancelled it was because I was facing some a real stressful time and I didn't want the team to see me so stressed. And it was really interesting because I was, I was so bothered uh, that people would wonder what was going on. The only contacts I had was people in the team checking that I was okay. Wow. So, and we continued the next month and eventually people understood why I'd had to cancel it. Mm. But in the meantime, that's all they were bothered about. Mm. Was I okay? And doesn't that say a lot in terms of their, their respect and for you and, and trust in you? Huge yeah, amount. Very much so. And I can't, that's the reason even mm. more so that I can't let these people down. Mm. I know that, that there's great people. We've all got different capabilities a lot. You know, a lot more intelligent people than me in this business, without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. But it doesn't matter what level you're operating at. And I talked about, I've spoke to the people here many times about when I left British Aerospace, I genuinely thought I was going into small businesses because I wanted to show them a different way of leadership. Through BAE, I'd worked with subcontractors and I'd seen some not very nice environments really so i thought well if i can go out and show people a different way then i will do but but i honestly didn't believe that i would find a group of people who was technically capable as those at bae but when i came to howarth genuinely these people in their own field are as technically capable and they know that it doesn't matter what role they're taking they could stand shoulder to shoulder and look the bae counterpart in the eye and know that they were right up there with them. So if they, if they're that if they're that technically gifted, mm. it's only ourselves that can stop us succeeding. I love that, and it's that that comes back to what you're saying about everybody knowing their strengths and knowing you know knowing what value they provide, knowing their part in the big picture. And I think too often companies miss that. You know, they've got people working in their own little silos. This is my role, but actually, how I contribute to the big picture is a bit um, more ambiguous. And I think when we are able to focus on building on the strengths and making sure everyone knows what everyone else contributes, why we need each other. Um, and actually it means that you don't have those assumptions around, well, that group's indispensable, but that one, you know, we, we must look after those. And I think you've gone around that a really, a really, in a really positive way. And I'm intrigued to know whether 
because I've done lots of work over the last year with companies, with a leadership team around leading change. I hate the word change management because it's not around managing change, it's around actually leading it really well and, and people wanting to come with you. Is that something you think you are just gifted at, Jim? Is that something that you are just, is, is it's innate or is that something you've learnt? It's a bit of both, really. Mm. So I was, again, I was thinking, looking back on, on me as a person. And what I thought was, well, ironically, every team I've been in, I've led that team. Mm. So if you go back to scouts, I was the senior patrol leader. Every football team I ever played in, I was the captain. I wasn't necessarily the best player. Mm. but so, so there's that leadership there's that leadership in, in there. Mm. But it's really important as a leader as well that you listen and learn. I'll never, ever stop learning. Mm. I know I won't. Again, things awakened in me with my child starting Crosscoats Primary School. I ended up as chair of governors there for 13 years and I'll die with Crosscoats Primary School blood in my veins and I'll die with Howarth blood in my veins. Mm. Um, because I remember I'd been getting involved in in going to listen to these briefs. And when I realised that I needed the school to go this route, I got in touch with the headmaster and said, I want to be involved in this grant maintained group. And he said, that's that's brilliant. I said, well, I'll be honest with you, if it had felt the other way, I'd be, I'd be getting involved with them. And then they spoke to me about being a governor. I didn't know what a governor was. I wasn't on management at BAE. Um, didn't know what a governor was as I said all I knew was I wanted to help my lad and so I ended up being a governor and the school went out of local authority control and I was very lucky that the managing sorry the chair of governors at that time was a man called Frank Diamond Frank Diamond was absolutely driven and I remember him saying to me Jim if you're not on management now, it's a disgrace. He said, by the time I finish with you, you'll be an exec and a lap. <laughs> so I agreed to go on the governing body. And shortly after that, BAE then asked me to go on a degree. Ironically, if it had happened the other way around, I would have said, I've got too much on, I can't be a school governor. But because I honour my commitments, I'd given a four-year agreement to be a governor. Best thing I ever did. Mm. suddenly I became, I got my first role in management at BAE. I was doing this degree, a five-year degree, because I did a foundation year, and I, I ended up as vice chair of governors. Mm. And I remember Frank saying to me, have you ever done any interviewing? And I said, no. He said, right, come into this interview, just look and listen. And this was another defining moment. And this, taught, this is a real good illustration of purpose. I was sat in this interview and I was scribbling away these notes. And then this man came in called John Richards and he started to talk and I put my pen down. And all I could say was, I want you to teach my child. And when they were going round, the headmaster actually said to me, Jim, what were you thinking? He said, I want him to teach my child. And he said, I knew that's what you were thinking. And we appointed him. And eventually he went on to be the head of his, old school, mm. of his own school. But after that, we never did an interview without the parent governor in. 
Frank Diamond sadly died 12 months into it. He was only 47. He had a massive heart attack and he just, he was very passionate, Frank. But he, when I look back, he was primed for a heart attack because he just so emotional. And he'd also driven the high school out of local authority control. And the day it was announced, his last words were, it's great news about Hollingworth High School. And he died on holiday. Oh, wow. I got a phone call from the headmaster. I was 33 and I broke down because I'm thinking, I've known Frank for 18 months. They're developing me in the 18 months, thinking, how do I replace Frank? Well, that was a phenomenal governing body. And if you can't learn from that. So when we talk about personal development, it's a great illustration because personal development isn't just what we can give people in work. There's so many opportunities but you've got to have that drive inside you. It was really interesting that I was talking to one of the young lads on the, on the shop phone. We were talking about the world's strongest man. <laughs> and he says, you know, he said, you know what, Jimmy said, it's all in there. The power's all in there. And I said, do you know where my power is, Joe? And straight away, I got it right. He said, it's in there, Jim, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not in your it's not in your muscles and your arms and shoulders, it's in your heart. And I yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and I think that you know, those positive role models are so important shaping who we are, aren't they? So clearly, you know, you had an amazing development experience by joining the governing committee and that taught you a lot, um and that undoubtedly has shaped how you are as as well today and i was reflecting on this last week when i was um actually having a conversation with dave who uh, was my coach and talking about the fact um when you end up meeting someone who just makes you think differently and you you know you start i remember my first ever job uh working the psychology service in milton Keynes, and they had two psychologists per room and i ended up being in a room with a guy called tom mccready and he was inspirational and shaping me in terms of the lens I use to see people and to communicate and the language and all the subtle things that I had just missed before because I was so busy on processes or whatever it was it was actually the it was more of the connection the relationship um, and when you have someone like that you've got to have it as you say you've got to have the drive in you but you've got to be so open to learning to being challenged to doing things differently and to really questioning I think yeah, very much so, very much so. It, but they, I can't tell you how much of an impact that, that whole experience had on me because I become chair of governors and I'm thinking, how am I going to be accepted? Because Frank was massive in that school. Mm. And some of the teachers, particularly the ones that had been there a lot longer, were a bit standoffish because I wanted to get into the school and they couldn't understand why I wanted so much involvement. The reason I wanted so much involvement was my view was the better I can understand the challenges the teachers have, then we can step back as a governing body and see what development do we need, what development do we need to support the teachers needing, so that ultimately the beneficiaries, the student, the pupil, the child, yeah. whatever. And we got to the end of my first year as chair of governors and the school had had a fantastic school, a fantastic year. But that was actually the start of things to come because every year was better than the than the last year in 14 years. But at the end of that school year, I wrote a personal letter to everybody in the school and it started 
it, it was the cleaner, it was the cook, it, it was literally everybody because I knew that everybody had played a part in the development of my child. And some years later, one of the one of the teachers who struggled initially to accept this new chair of governors, I bumped into her and she still talks now about those letters, Jim. I've still got all them letters. You were the only person before or since ever wrote me a personal letter. And it just shows you the the power of them. And I, I genuinely didn't do them to mi- manipulate. It was a genuine thanks. Yeah. It's value of recognition, isn't it? Which is so, so critical. It's, yeah. it's, it's knowing people want to feel valued. They want to feel recognised. They want to be noticed. And I love the fact that when you, you want to get involved because you wanted to find out more about the challenges people are experiencing. And I think I, if more people did that in terms of joining people where they're at and looking at the world, the work, the company through their lens, it'd give us so much insight because most of this isn't rocket science. I, I talk about it all the time, no. but we just need to join people with where they're at. And I think I was having a conversation with someone last week. He said, I don't understand why my team don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And, and, and I said, you know, have you asked them? I've asked them, but I still don't get it. And I think you haven't really asked them properly. You haven't really taken the time. You're asking them in a kind of, I've, I've asked them tick that box, but you haven't asked them in a way which is, I really want to understand, you know, the intention is because I actually really want to understand rather than you've rather than understanding so I can bring you into where I want you to be. I really want to understand for the right reasons so that I can shape the solutions around what makes things better for you and also obviously works for the company. But it's a it's a subtle difference in intention, but it makes all the difference to the outcomes. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, moving on from that, I always made sure that if there's an Ofsted going on because Teachers at that time really dreaded Ofsted because they, it was once every three or five yeah, years. Yeah. So I always made sure I was in the building, mm. just telling them how good they were mm. in the lead up to it and everything. Just really, it was one team. It's as mm. simple as that. Mm. And, and by us doing our job, it allowed the headmaster to get on with doing his. And it, 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 there were so many positives, as I said, learned. You know, there were, I, I was doing finance for part of my degree. And our chair of finance was actually a profit sharing partner in KPMG at the time. I remember the auditors ringing up and saying, who's your chair of finance? I said, it's a guy called Mike Holly. There was silence. <laughs> the Mike Holly. <laughs> at that point, I realised that I had somebody here that I weren't going to let get away without, you know, without learning as much as I could. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what I liked, Mike, similar to me, had, had started as an apprentice almost in finance you know he'd started on the desk and and he worked his way up you know from a personal part of view I was never when I was at BAE in particular I was never sort of driven on a career path but I didn't want to get bored so I was always happy to to change roles but what I would say is I've learned off, off everybody I've worked with actually and and I've even been, and I've thanked people when I've been leaving a company and saying, thanks, I've learned so much of you. And the chest has been puffed out and oh, I didn't realise. What they don't realise is as I walked away, I thought, yeah, I've learned what not to do. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the number of people, for example, I've tried to teach the answer to good morning to, and you just think, where's that come from? But you, you made a good point when you speak, spoke about 
people asking for something to be done and it not being taken up. Well, if I just ask somebody to go and do something, don't tell them why, they'll probably think, well, why don't he do it? But if you if you take that extra minute to to explain it, they're more exactly. than they're more than happy to do it, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when when we think about employee experience, you know, the, the title of this particular episode is getting um, the right people to create fantastic dots that join yeah. up. Now, that was something you talked about in another podcast that you recorded, and I love that sense of. You know, we all talk about joining the dots and we all talk about, you know, I talk a lot about strategy and needing to kind of connect everything, which um, still still most people don't do enough of. But you don't just talk about joining the dots, you're talking about having the right people. And that goes back to what you're talking about strengths. It's about having the right people who become those dots so you can actually join them up. So that as rather than individuals doing their thing, it's the, the value of the whole is so much more significant. Yeah, very much so. It's... Uh... It's really surprised me quite a lot in recent years that how I've thought something and then come across something that underpins my feelings. So, for example, the Simon Sinek start with why. I'd not heard of Simon Sinek initially, not when I was talking about saving lives, but then I came across start with why and the way he explains things, the golden circle and all that. But similarly, Jim Collins talks about having the right people in the right places. If we can get the right people in the right place, when this uncertainty comes along, we don't know where that uncertainty is taking us. What we do know is there's a real good chance we're going to be successful. Mm. And and I think that is so important. It really has been a a cultural change, but but I've always probably at my own detriment sometimes, I am so belief driven it's untrue. I really Way before the Howarth Way came in, I was working with the old British Aerospace Competency Framework. And in the 90s, they brought Competency Framework up. that basically had nine different competencies. So drive and commitment, customer focus, innovation, technology, team working, communication, etc. And each of those was broken down into four levels. And every job in the business had a map. And it didn't, because you because you went up in in role if you like it didn't mean that naturally every one of these competencies you had to go up in it bounced around depending on what was important so before we launched this if ever I was involved in an interview with anybody I would always be interviewing against whichever competencies I felt were the right ones but it was quite a complicated system Mm. I used it diligently over the years particularly at BAE where I'd literally go through every statement and say am I doing that and what's the example and if there wasn't an example I weren't doing it but when, when I came across the Barcelona way and how that club had changed the fortunes by focusing on the culture and they only had, you know, the three, whatever they called them, values, virtues, whatever it was, it was like the slot machine lining up for Howarth. And we discussed it because Adam Ainsley, our FD, and Tom Ford, the sales director, came to the same presentation which we were taken to again by Paul Winterbottom, who's on tab. And again, you might have seen a recent, a very recent post I've put on, on LinkedIn. If you talk to the right people, they will naturally lead you down the right paths. And that, and that's what happened. But we went to see that 
that report, that presentation in the December. And by the February, we'd launched the Howarth Way because we knew it would absolutely underpin what we're trying to do. And it's so simple. So if anybody comes in now, they are interviewed against the, the values of the Howarth Way. And, and I really think that that is one of the main things that's taking this business up. But we've talked about the purpose. We know we've got great people. So having those values and the behaviours, as an aid memoir for all of us, including me, I'm only human. I do slip up, and as I'm, I know others do. But if there's a real will to live by these, we've got half a chance. And also you're open enough um to for people to pull you up so if you don't you know when you do slip up which as you yeah. say we all do at points for someone to just let you know and for you to be okay with that rather than it's a us and them you need to do this all the time and, and actually we're not expecting we're under too much pressure uh, which i've seen in, in some other companies so tell us um what, briefly what you're about the Howarth way and, and i say briefly because i you i can listen to you talk about the Howarth way a lot but in terms of your the kind of the key the key areas the key values well the key values are, so it's integrity collaboration excellence yeah. how that came about was the three of us have been to see damien news on a thursday evening the friday morning i got the managers together i explained what had happened what we what we did why we felt it was good and I asked them to go away and talk to their teams and come back the following friday with the three behaviors that they felt were right and you can have five but i think three really works mm -hmm. so the following week they came back and they came up with these with these behaviors and we talked about the competency framework and how it was brought down into into levels as well and where the company was three years ago was a very different place to where it is now and we're actually looking at revamping the the sort of terminology in the howard way for example but basically, they're just very simple statements about how we should behave. You, you, somebody said to me once, integrity, well, that's very wide, Jim. Uh, how do you, I, I don't like that. That wasn't somebody, it was somebody outside the company. And I thought about it. It's very simple, integrity. It's doing the right thing. Mm. End of. Mm. There's a few statements in there. Mm. Do the right thing. And we've shown so many examples of it through COVID. Mm. Collaboration, we've absolutely got to collaborate. We've got three three businesses within a business. We're working with the National Health Service. We're working with blue chip clients. We're solution providers. We've absolutely got to collaborate. And how can we have anything less than excellent? Because we can't afford to let people down. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. we're putting lives at risk. It's as simple as that. So I was very fortunate that... In October 18, we were joined by a guy called Ian Williams as our marketing manager, and he was really into Simon Sinek. In fact, in his interview, there was only two people in the room that knew about Simon Sinek, and that was me and Ian. And to be fair to him, he really embraced the Howarth Way for me. He put a lot of the, the presentation together. We looked at it together. We shared it with the team. But effectively, it's the Bible. When people come in, when people come into this business, they have the, the normal inductions, so they'll have their health and safety, their IT induction, and then they have an audience with me for about an hour and a quarter, 
and we literally go through the purpose, the importance of people and the importance of the behaviours and everything we touch on, whether that's development, whether it's helping the community, whether it's the mental health, whether it's the physical health, we go through all of that. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's so powerful because, and then we give them a copy of the, I see it on there, the Howarth Way mm. framework. But I think having that, you know, lots of companies, if not all companies now will have a set of values, but what that looks like in practice is very different. And I like the fact that you've gone and, you know, your the managers have asked their teams, what are the behaviours that we should be looking out for? Because again, when I'm working with companies around, uh, you know, looking at some aspect of their of their values within their their organisation, it's very easy for the the leadership team to think, right, we're going to come up with these. And I've seen it done. I've seen the language used is so far off the radar of what's accessible to their employees. I'm looking and thinking, I'm not sure what these values mean. And you ask any of their mem their employees, they're like, well, I'm not really sure what that means. I think it's something like, and they try to kind of have a guess at it. But interpreting that as everyday practice what should I be doing what am I doing what am I seeing other people doing that shows that we are living and breathing these values is very very different and unless we start breaking it down and asking all the people across the organization from the, almost from the bottom up you know what should we be looking at if we're setting these values what what do you want to be doing what what is it that we should be looking for and starting from the bottom up and that's the way we then start changing is that those cycles that we get stuck in you know, yeah. you were talking earlier on about, um, you know, trying to do things differently. We end up just getting stuck in. We do stuff day in, day out because that's how we've always done it. You know, we do performance management like this because that's how we've always done it. Um, you know, our appraisals, or the whole the whole system, this is just how we are. And it's only when we stop and say, does this fit with our values now? Does this fit with bringing out the best of people? Does this fit with using people's strengths? I'm not sure it necessarily does. Does this kind of fit with great communication and collaboration? Well, no, not really. It's kind of, it's, it's putting the walls up between teams rather than breaking them down. You know, what is it we're trying to achieve that we're all about? And do all our practices fit that or are they actually working against them? Yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting you touched on performance management because mm. we don't do performance reviews. Now, that might sound very strange to people, but what we do is objective and development reviews because mm. performance management is every day, every hour, every minute. Mm. So it's congratulating somebody when you see them doing something well. And as I said earlier, we need a quiet chat and it's a quiet chat. That's managing the performance. Mm. If the shot, I had a manager here who's no longer with us, but he wanted to exit one of his team. And I said, well, have you got any evidence as to why we should be doing that? And this was, November, December time. He said, well, I highlighted this in his performance review in January. I mean, it's just a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. But it's really important that we set objectives for people and we look at the development needs. How do we need them to develop? How do they want to develop? That that really is important. Mm. But And then how do you get there? Because it's all very well saying, actually, I need someone to be doing X, Y, or Z. But actually, how? what does that look like, the journey from where I am now to get into that place I want to be? rather than you just got to go and do it? Well, you get there by having two-way conversations, don't you, all the time. It's, it's, and again, it's understanding your people. And, and sometimes there's been certain circumstances where some of my team have been, have been in the process of being developed. And if I told them what I would develop them for, they might have panicked. 
Mm. But they're absolutely standout performers. Mm. And when they look back, they can see what, what was going on. Like, what have you got me lined up for now? But they know it's a good outcome. And, and now we can talk more openly about it. Mm. Whereas that change, that development, exposing your weakness. Because quite often, when you go into these formal training sessions, you can suddenly be the idiot in the room. Well, that's there's no problem with being that either. Yeah. But most people are programmed to cover that up, aren't they? Is that we're supposed yeah. to just show what we're good at and hide the hide the gaps rather than be honest and open and say, I'm not so great at that. I need some help with that. Exactly. So how are you going to get from, what's your plan at the moment to get from good to great? So before we go on to that, could I just give you a little bit about our briefs? Because I think they're really interesting. Yeah, you touched on it. So when the brief started, it was very much a brief. Mm. It talks about how the business we're doing, there'd be different areas covered at times, and we'd always finish with, I'd talk to people about making sure they're looking after themselves physically, mentally, et cetera, and then we'd have a questions and answers. But as time's gone on, we've, we now vary the briefs. So the team don't know it yet, but the brief that's happening this Thursday will be another interactive brief where we'll look at marketing for the year and we're going to break out into, in, into the little interactive rooms mm. and get the feedback from the people. Mm. And we, in 2018, again, around about September, October, we did our first ever employee engagement survey and I waited with bated breath, not to see what the results were, but the number. Um, and we had something like 90 plus percent return them. The last two, there's been... A, yeah, and the last two, it's been 100% returns. So one of the things we will do at one of the interactive briefs is to look at the, the three or four areas that we need to develop. So we need to develop every one of the areas, but which are the four that are scoring lowest? And every one of them are three points something out of five, but we've still got to carry on developing. I think we've got such a platform now where every month we talk to the whole set of employees everybody we talk to the whole company so there's so many opportunities so we know some of them are, are development days where in in november that one of the sales guys talked about how they had to go on about winning a winning a big project in a hospital in february we'll be having a look at the farmer side of the business so people are getting a much better idea of what goes in and mm -hmm. the parts that they play in helping us secure these projects it's a phenomenal platform which is why we'll we'll never ever stop this process of briefing anymore and and people will always have the opportunity to ask questions make points anything and i think the the different i mean this is the problem isn't it with a name you say briefing and the word briefing means so many different things to different people so for yeah. you your briefing is not i'm just providing a briefing is it can be that very interactive two-way communication seeking information on which to base future decisions and i think that's the bit that when people say oh of course i do briefings but they don't really do it with the right intent you know what's their purpose it comes back to purpose again doesn't it like why yeah. are we doing this what do we want to get out of it is it i'm telling people stuff or is it are they telling me so that i can change my practice yeah yeah, yeah very much so so you asked me a question, how do we get from good to great? Well, mm. we've absolutely got to get more and more interaction from our team and take on board what they're saying. But we also have to absolutely 
as leaders, we have to live these values. There can't be any. We, we've had our sort of training run, three years, getting us up to good. Now we've got to step back again and say, how are we going to get to that next level? How do we live and breathe these values? Because if we're going to take the company to great, then we've absolutely got to have level five leadership, as they call it. Now, again, going back to Jim Collins, he will tell you that many, many companies achieve good, but very few achieve great. Mm. Um, and it's a big step. You know, it, it, won't, it won't be easy to achieve. It'll take resilience. It'll take unrivaled focus, massive passion. That's got to continue. It can't go away. We've got to get the team so that, that they're interacting with each other. And it's not just me saying to the team members, this isn't good enough. I expect the team to be holding each other to account. Yeah. We've just done a checklist. Uh, each of the senior leaders are doing their own self-assessment against how they're behaving. I'm mm -hmm. going to do a self-assessment. But there'll be no marking without an example. Mm. And then we'll look at, you know, there'll be some area that needs to improve because unless everything's rated at a three, I do it all the time, then we can improve. This is not about saying you're not good at this. This is saying you actually, you're good at it. Let's get it to great. Yeah. So it's going to be not accepting. If I or any of the team walk past something that they know isn't up to the healthware standards. If they walk past that, they're saying, I'm accepting that this is the right standard. It can't be the case. It absolutely cannot be the case. And people struggle with that, don't they? That sense of responsibility of, of pulling others up or being pulled up. And yeah. that yeah. Uh, it's, it goes against our human nature of yeah. being able to point out things. But if everyone is bought into it and everyone is agreeing to it and everyone's saying this is the best thing we can be doing then it gives permission and is that is that slow process isn't it of being able to uh call things out and know that actually it's okay you don't get reprimanded it's seen oh. as actually yeah we can do better and yeah, i think yeah. that's that that's that feeds into psychological safety doesn't it it's that sense of you know pointing out where we're not doing this as good as we can do and then like exploring what we can do what's stopping us being great like what's getting in the way why did we slip up why did that not go quite as well as we hoped and why are we not great with those particular things when we know what's getting in the way then we can very much focus on removing those barriers to make sure that we can be great at them in the future really interesting so one when i mentioned that induction i do mm. i share a little video on that called the tree it only runs for two minutes it's an indian uh, training video <clears throat> basically shows this big tree down across the road and the policeman is sat in the car virtually falling asleep not knowing what to do and the little lad gets off a bus and he walks down and he starts to push this tree and eventually every so many join him they lift the tree so the message is anybody can lead anybody can mm. change things but don't be the policeman that falls asleep and absolutely do not be the tree and one thing that I've talked about religiously is that if anybody doesn't follow these behaviours, at some point they won't go with the company. And I think that people, believe me, 
They really did believe me. Uh, but they also thought there were certain things that I wouldn't address. Well, I'm not going to name names, but one senior supposed leader in this business left us just over 12 months ago, purely because he didn't, he didn't live these. We need to create a safe environment. We can't have bullies in the, in the business. And luckily, I think the reason it's taken off so well is not because of my four years of being in the managing director's role. It's all the years before when I was working my way through this business mm. because they're not, they're not seeing a different gym. They're seeing the same person who cares for them. And caring for people doesn't always mean that telling them they're doing great when they're not. Caring for them means let's keep them safe. If you carry on doing that, it's a risk. So let's not do that. Mm. And I think it's almost that you're, you're making sure you're getting the right people based on then the right culture fit, based on yeah. the people who are living and breathing their Howarth way. And if you're not, then you're not the right fit. And I think that's quite a big shift for some organisations to make who, you know, when they're looking to recruit or they're looking at who's fulfilling their roles, it's very much around, you know, the day-to-day -day process of whatever job they do. It's not about their behaviours. It's not about how they communicate and collaborate. And it's, I think it's, it's really powerful when people say, it's not about the specific role, it's, it's about how you are as an individual here. Because if we get the right people who are living and breathing in a way that is all about how we are as a company and our values, then regardless of what your strengths are, or where the gaps are, we'll succeed as long as we're all cemented into doing the right thing by, for, in your example, the Howarth Way. Yeah, very much so. It's... Um... <clears throat> it, uh... I can't underestimate what bringing that in mm. has done because it's such a simple process. Mm. And one of the reasons I've asked all the leaders to, to review themselves is to make sure, if nothing else, they're reminding themselves what's in that book. Because it's easy, it's easy not, not to. It's easy to think, well, yeah, we're doing it. But what, what are we saying in, in there? Why is it so important? Mm. Why are people revisiting it? And I think it's something that we'll be able to spread out right across the business as well. It's only a simple checklist. And it, in some ways, it depersonalizes it, you know. So you're not having a picking on Joe blogs. It's, it's, you're not lining up with this. Let's, let's get there. Our philosophy is very much that your technical skills get you in the dressing room and your, your behaviors get you out on the pitch. It's as simple as that. Love that quote. That's brilliant. And do your, do your, um, do all your employees, if you're looking at great, know what great looks like on the pitch? Do they, do they know, you know, what, what does great look like? Cause you're talking about great, what you're looking at for great means one thing. How are you making sure that everyone has a clear idea of what the great is that they're working towards and what's in it for them? So on the 4th of January was the start of the new chapter. Okay. So we're very early on this. Mm -hmm. But what is uh, really powerful is the amount of external support we've got in here as well. Mm. So a lot of great will be demonstrated as well as we can talk all we want, can't we? Great has to start off with the leaders of this business being great. Mm. And actually others will follow naturally because we don't necessarily have to spell it out. Yes, we need to talk about where we're going and why we want to get there. 
and that will come. But it's, we've literally, I only started to think about this in October. I took the, I took the managers and our external, non, almost non-exec board away for one night. And it was all talking about the chapters we'd come through as a business. Because if I look right back on my career, most of my chapters, most of them have been about three years. So have been the odd one that's been a bit shorter. The odd one, like when I was doing my degree, was a bit longer. But ironically, the Howarth Way has been in about three years. <laughs> and it's taken us to good, I believe. Mm. You know, to be fair, some people on the outside looking at what we're doing on LinkedIn and everything else will say, blimey, that's a great company. And I guess it is. You know, I love the company, but I know we can be better. But even if we were great, even if we we're the best company in the world, we've got to get better. We can never, ever, ever stop because that's what held this business back for a long time. I love you. You're, this is why you're inspirational, Jim, because your whole belief, you know, your whole mindset is about being open and about continuous development and consciously, continuously getting better. And I don't know, it'd be really interesting to hear you one day say, yes, we're at great. And then what's going to be the next bit? Even greater. <laughs> it's like, because there will always be that sense of growth. And I think that's, um, that's motivating. It keeps you on, you know, keeps you learning. It keeps you pushing forward. You never, you're never getting complacent. You'll certainly never be someone who sits back in your chair and says, we've done it. Um, you'll always be striving for more things. So if someone wanted to find out more about the Howarth Way or wanted to pick up on anything you've talked about today, can they get in touch with you? What would, what would be the best way for them to do 100%. that? I mean, there's many people approach me through LinkedIn. I spoke to many people, but to be fair, many of them younger people mm. who have seen things and asked for a chat. Well, and I've always got time and they say, it's really good of you to have so much time. But in any conversation like we've had today, any conversation at all, I'm normally going to learn something. Like mm -hmm. It's going to make me think about, could we do this better? And the other thing that I love in talking to younger people is I'm 60 odd year old. If I can look at the world through a 20 year old's eyes, Boy, that's, that's, how many times <laughs> have you heard somebody say, if I knew then what I know now? Yeah, well, yeah. they are so technologically advanced. We don't even want to stop at the 20-year-olds. We want to be in these schools talking to the 15-year-olds because they'll take us to new levels. So you can get in Watch touch. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah. so so is linkedin the best way for people to get in touch with you or are you happy for people to email you what i'm happy for people to email me please okay. i am linkedin's as good as anywhere particularly yeah, through private messaging they don't need to remember the spelling of my surname for the email they don't need to remember yeah. that there's two holes in our and no way yeah <laughs> because that happens a lot you know so yeah that's I'm fine either way honestly and and I look forward to learning off whoever gets in touch with me as well, because I will. I love that. Thank you. Um, we'll put your uh, the link for your LinkedIn in the show notes as well. So it makes it super easy for people to get in touch with you. Jim, thank you so very, very much for today. Um, I could honestly talk to you and unpick some of these things for hours more, but um, our time is up. So I look forward to let's let's have another one of these conversations uh, again at some point in the future. And then we can just see how you, how you, the journey's going and um, and what's where yeah where you're up to what's going well and what the on what's the next step for you 
which I think will, will carry on evolving. So thank you so very much. Um, and we look forward to hearing more. I look forward to speaking again. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk. My details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.